Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Justin Resvani, and we're going to explore decentralized social and I think you're absolutely going to love this. This guy has massive funding and he is developing the next big decentralized social platform for creators, marketers, the whole shebang. And we go pretty deep into what he's building and what's wrong with traditional social marketing and how his company, which is also backed by Jack Dorsey with Square, is developing something on the Bitcoin Lightning Network, which is completely different than anything we've talked about on this show, because almost everything we've talked about is Ethereum-based developments and protocols. And I, I think many of you are going to be fascinated by what I talk about today. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, follow this show on your podcast app so you don't miss any of our future content. I've got some great people coming your way. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Justin Resvani. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Justin Resvani. If you don't know who he is, he's the author of Unapologetic Freedom. He's also the founder of Zion, a social protocol that helps creators build and monetize decentralized communities. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, man? What's up, my brother? Thanks for having me. I'm super excited that you're here today. Justin and I are going to explore the future of social and really what it means for creators. Before we go there, because we're going to talk a lot about your views and what you're building and stuff, but I want to back up the train a little bit. What's your story? How the heck did you get into this whole Web3 crypto kind of frontier? I've been working with creators for almost 10 years. I think we first got connected probably in 2014 or 15. I started one of the first apps on the App Store that connected an influencer to a brand. So circa 2012, 2013, Instagram gets bought by Facebook for a billion dollars. And I said, is there an app that connects an influencer to a brand? There was not. So as any like 24-year-old wanted to do, I was hungry to build an application. The application drives to build a company. The company was the Amplify. And we were the first way that creators monetized on Instagram for quite a long time. Sold that business in 2016, stayed on the board and CEO through 2018. And then 2020, I decided to start Zion. So what was the name of the app originally? The Amplify. And the app was called Reach. What did it do exactly? I'm just curious. So an influencer would download the app Reach on their phone. And then we would go out to brands and say, hey, we have this network of creators that you can work with. We have this algorithmic way to select who you should work with based upon the audiences that you wanted to reach, which was kind of innovative at the time. Most people just looked at the creator. They didn't look at the followers. We were saying, look at the followers, not the creator. And this, again, this is early. Now everyone talks about this stuff. But like, 2012, 2013, 24, like this stuff wasn't like really thought through. So the app would just ping them. Hey, this movie studio wants you to talk about their movie on Friday. Would you like to get paid on PayPal? 
create this piece of content. They send us the content back in the app. We send it to the, there's, there was dashboards. There's a lot of tech involved. The brands would say yes, no, yes, no. We'd post the content. Creators get paid instantly on PayPal that Friday. And then we'd be off to the races. I mean, that, that was the app. Essentially, influencer marketing, but with a lot of like tech enablement to make it scale, right? Like I had a really small team and we were doing like a movie a week. It was like a really exciting time. So would you call yourself a, a developer then, guy? Or are you more like a visionary? I'm a, I'm a product designer. I'm a designer. I would say that I, I'm a designer at my core and I design systems and products. And what I happen to do is like do that in technology. Okay, so somewhere along the line, you kind of fell into the crypto web three space. Tell us how that started. It's 2020. I'm on a flight uh, from Austin to Istanbul, Turkey. An advisor and a good friend of mine sends me the Lightning white paper. Lightning is layer two Bitcoin. And I'm reading it on the plane and I probably read it five to six times over and over and over and over again. And I said, this is the solution I've been looking for for the past eight years. This is what will change the world. This is how creators are going to monetize their fans directly. I need to build something on this thing. I got to like spend some time and, and, and get out. I was retired at the time. I was like, I'm not working again. I'm not going to work for, I was off for almost two years. Well, and explain what the heck the Lightning Network is because a lot of my audience has no clue what it is. Like, what was it about it that captured your eye? Right. So, so Bitcoin is this blockchain that can store keys and everyone understands Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is, is very secure, which means that it's very slow. Security means that it's very slow. Lightning takes Bitcoin and allows you to move Bitcoin at the speed of light, allows you to move Bitcoin instantly peer to peer without the enablement of a blockchain. So it allows two people to send each other money without anyone else in the middle of that transaction. And it allows you to move it faster, more efficiently. Obviously, it's not made for larger sums, but it allows you to move instantly. And that's what's really exciting is if you think about the concept of microtransactions or micropayments or the ability to like stream money. And this is the thing I'm really interested in is streaming money. Bitcoin Lightning allows you to do that and, and doing that basically on the most secure digital money ever created, which is Bitcoin. So you're on this plane to Turkey and you're reading this white paper and something happens inside, some lightning flashes in your brain. What do you <laughs> see? Like, tell me more. Like, what does this spawn in you? I see the future. I, I see the future. And I said, no matter if I build it or not, the future of the creator economy will be built on this payment network. That was something that was very clear to me. That was very, very clear to me. And I said, someone's going to do it. I might be the most equipped to do it because I've been spending the last eight to 10 years of my life focused on creators. Why not give this a try? I'd graduated college 10 years earlier. I was like, you know what? Let me give this a try. Okay. So tell us a little bit more of the story because obviously you get this idea, but now all of a sudden you've got to bring us up a little bit more, hit, us, hit some of the milestones because you've got some crazy parts of the story here, right? <laughs> yeah. From there, once I was committed, I said, okay. I'm going to deploy. And because I was lucky to have an exit means I had a lot of my own capital. I was pretty liquid at the time because I knew COVID was happening. And I was like, you know, getting into a lot more cash because I knew things were going to about to get destructed. I said, look, I'm going to take some capital. I'm going to go research this idea. I got introduced to some people doing social. I got introduced to blockchains. I got introduced to all this stuff. I said, okay, if I wanted to build this on Lightning, how would I do it? And I just immersed myself in the community. Um, I just said, hey, I want to meet everyone. I met the founder of Lightning Labs. I want to meet everyone in the space. And let me just do some research on how this would work. Six months go by and we saw this protocol that was opening up. We said, you know what? Let's build our own version on top of Lightning. And then we fast forward to August of 2021. I launched Zion. It was an app that used a Lightning node to communicate between two Lightning nodes. I was like, okay, cool. A lot of open source code that we used to build it. 
during that time, I started getting a lot of investors that wanted to, that were interested, but I kind of held them off. I was like, listen, let me like find product market fit. Let me see if people actually want this thing before you give me your money. I did. And then kind of the rest is somewhat history in the sense of every month was this massive milestone getting up to the last like six months, which has just been an accelerated, insane growth. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, somehow Jack Dorsey works his way into the story, right? Yeah. I mean, mostly the web five things that, that block and TBD are building. So August of 2021, I launched Zion V1. Zion V1 is a lightning node, which is basically the communication machine. You can download a special piece of software to your lightning node, and you can make that your social network. You can store your data on there. You can send messages back and forth. Accelerate six months from there. We're in January of 2022. We become 13% of all lightning nodes. All 13% of the entire world in terms of lightning nodes and traffic is running through our infrastructure. So I'm like, holy this is massive. We're doing like $35,000 in subscription revenue. The, the company is growing really fast. But we come to this rate limit that says, this is not going to work. This is not, this can't scale. You can't have every user having a lightning node. So we need a new solution. We got approached by TBD, which is a division of Block, which is a company run by Jack. Well, formerly Square, right? Formerly Square. Yeah, exactly. And Spiral is kind of the division or whatever, the Bitcoin division. And they said, hey, we're going to launch this thing in um, June. It's called Web5. It allows you to have a DID as an identity layer. It allows you to have a decentralized web node for data storage. And it sounds like you guys have this like lightning component. You can actually integrate lightning for payments and you can build a social network. Would you guys be interested in doing that? I was like, you know what? We can't scale the current version that we have. We have to find a completely new way to build Zion. This is the way we want to go. Simultaneously, I go raise a bunch of money. I raised approximately like $7 million at a $53 million valuation in, in March. So I was like, this is the perfect time to deploy this capital and build the V2 of Zion. And that's how their team kind of got involved to help us. And over the next few weeks, you'll see Zion V2 coming to the market, which is a completely new infrastructure. And I think what's important about the infrastructure and to understand is that the building blocks of the internet to me have, have kind of been broken. And there's three core building blocks that make every application in the world. Identity, data storage, and messaging and money and payments, right? Those are the three components that basically make any application. And Zion, and particularly the Zion protocol, which we'll see the white paper launch very soon, enables each of those specific in a new way for the internet and, and without a blockchain, without a token. And that's really important. And those are the, the ethoses of Web5. Well, first of all, this is really exciting at so many levels what you're doing because there's a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that are from my other community, the social media examiner, social media marketing community. What it appears that you're building is really like the potentially the future of social. And what I would love to talk about, and you kind of teased at it a little bit, but I would love to talk about like what's wrong with social today. You know really well, obviously you built a business on the back of social you worked with one of the largest companies indirectly in the world, right? Facebook, now called Meta, which owns Instagram. So what are the challenges that you see today with social that hopefully will be solved maybe with the blockchain or Web3 in general? So I think that the two problems that I see is everything is highly centralized. That's the first piece. And then the second piece is business models. So the way that you want to innovate, I think, in any category is you have to optimize for those two things as technical stacks and business models. So if you look at traditional social media, everything about it is centralized. When we talk about the identity layer, right? Login with Facebook and Facebook graph, how the data is stored, right? You're now giving up everything to Facebook. It's stored on Facebook servers. 
Uh, creators own nothing, right? They don't own anything. When people say it's my Facebook or my Instagram, it's my Twitter, factually incorrect, it's your nothing. You own nothing. You own nothing and you'll be happy. That's the relationship that you have with Facebook. And that's just a matter of fact. And then the money, right? So the, the business model is predicated on keeping you addicted to this service, sending you more and more content and not connecting the world, but addicting the world to the device, right? That's what the business models are built. They're by advertising. They're advertising-based business models. This is what I believe is broken on traditional social media. And it's what creates all these echo chambers, the addiction that you have on these devices, all of these specific things. And I think the future of social allows systems, allows creators to own everything and not just create a system that is open source. I want to take it a step further and make the system open state. And what open state means, it allows for read-write on the actual system. And that's the important, like if people think like, oh, Bitcoin is an open source payment network. It's not just an open source payment network. It's an open state payment network. And what open state means is that anyone can also write and contribute to that database. And I think that's the innovation of what we're having on social. Like if you wanted to go improve Facebook, you couldn't do that. If you wanted to take your content off of Facebook, you couldn't do that. If you wanted to take your followers outside of Facebook, you couldn't do that. On the Zion protocol, you'll be able to do all of those things because we're not just open source, we're open state. I want to dig in a little bit on this open state thing. I think I understand what you're saying, but I also know that you can create content on the social platforms. So one could argue that you are contributing to it, content, videos, written word, but I think you mean something more than that. So what do you mean by read-write? Maybe that's a technical term that maybe non-technical audience needs some translation on. I think the idea here is that can you leave Facebook and take your followers with you? Can you manipulate and change the algorithms? Can you change how people see things? Ah. Can you change how your content is delivered to your followers? The answer is no. You control nothing. Right. So kind of I think of WordPress. This is almost like a WordPress ecosystem, right? Because with WordPress, you're probably familiar enough with WordPress, right? You can change the code. It's open source. You can make new things out of it. There's nothing you can't do with it. I would imagine that's kind of what you mean by read and write. You can create new protocols and stuff like that with it. Is that what you mean by read and write? You can create new applications with it. And I think that's the, that's the vision of quote unquote web five, that TBD kind of envision is like, we are an application developer on top of that system, but eventually people can build on top of our schemas, right? The point is that the way we're writing the databases, the way we're thinking about identity, and I'll give you a quick example, identity right now, identity is highly centralized between some core companies, Facebook, Google, Twitter, like your identity. And what I mean by your identity is your login, right? So you have a Gmail account or you have a YouTube account or you have a Facebook account. Usually it's at Gmail or use an email address to log in, but it's a centralized identity. We said Zion does not want to own your identity. So what we do is that on the device, we take and build you a DID. A DID is a decentralized identifier. This has actually now been approved by the W3C Foundation, basically the standards organization of the internet, saying this is a new type of identifier. On your phone, you get a private key. Then we take the hash of that private key, match it with your private key, and actually go write a transaction to the Bitcoin blockchain. So now your identity lives on Bitcoin. It lives on the, the most immutable blockchain ever created. And even if Zion disappears for whatever reason, your identity still lives on forever in the most immutable database ever created. This is functionally a different way to think about identity, identifying an individual online. So that's like the first base case of why is Zion different? Why is that important? Why does that matter for a creator? If you want persistence identity over space and time, 
which means that if you decide to leave Zion and people want to know who you are, you can always reference the DID from the base layer of Bitcoin and say, oh, this is me. So imagine that you can take your identity to the next application, to the next application, and the followers can stay with you. The interoperability is, is what's amazing in this new world. Well, and I think the easiest way to help people wrap their head around this is, let's say, TikTok. you got a big following there or Instagram or YouTube. One of the biggest challenges a lot of creators have is they build a big following on platform A, and then all of a sudden they want to go over to platform B. They've got to work really hard. And they're never going to get all those people over to platform B, right? You have to start over. Their identity is separate on each of these platforms, right? And with this digital identifier, is it as simple as a wallet address? Is it as simple as like a domain name? Like help people wrap their head around that. It's a private key that goes to a DID, right? It's not necessarily a domain name. It's it's a string of numbers. Uh, but because you hold the private key, you'll be able to secure that. And I think what's really important about the next stage of it is, okay, now you have the identifier. How do you know the content that you're posting is actually you? In Zion, you sign every piece of content cryptographically with your private key. So what that means is the DID now matches all the content that you're posting on this decentralized web node. So that, and by the way, the decentralized web node can be read by anybody. Anybody can fetch that content and know, oh, I signed that content cryptographically from my device through the secure storage of my phone. So I know that that's me. It's not somebody else. And, and in the world of deep fakes, we're getting to a point where this type of stuff, like I could put someone else's face on me and I could build a deep fake, but can I cryptographically sign that I am that person? Probably not because a private key is this really complex thing that's on the secure side of your phone. Every piece of content in the future needs to be cryptographically signed. That's where I see things that are going. So now we're building those primitives to do that at scale. Yeah, it's uh, we've had Sandy Carter, who's from Unstoppable Domains, and they're trying to develop also, you know, this concept of decentralized identity, often on layer two on the Ethereum blockchain, but I don't think they're just dedicated to that as well. Yeah, but the problem with that, right? Like ENS is very rudimentary in the sense that there isn't portability for applications. That's the problem with ENS is that, there isn't a way to actually like, wait, so where's this, the core ledger of these IDs? Oh, it's on Ethereum. So you need to go fetch it on Ethereum. You have to go get transactions. Like to me, that's a highly inefficient way to build a computer system. So ENS actually does not work for applications. It also doesn't work for interoperability. The problem with most of these other services is they've commingled identity with a wallet. I think that's a very bad way to do it. Like why, why would you want your ID and your bank account to be the exact same thing? It doesn't make any sense. You want a driver's license and then you want your bank account. You want those two things bifurcated. But this ENS, the stuff that's being done on ETH is really commingling digital identity and payments. Not the right way to do it, in my opinion. Fascinating. Okay, so we've talked about identity and we've talked about the fact that identity across all the platforms today is challenging. And you don't really have access to all the information. Like every time you log in with Twitter or Facebook, all you're doing is giving Twitter and Facebook access to the actions that you're taking and all that information is there. It's not yours, right? Totally. We've also talked about the concept of this open source, open state and all that kind of stuff. I want to talk a little bit about the messaging layer because I feel like this is the, I feel like this is the great unlock right now, at least from my experience, having interviewed a lot of people we're still using a lot of web two technologies, Twitter, we're using Discord, you know, we're using all these other things that are kind of like patched together to try to create a communication layer, but there's something wrong with that, right? Like, so how is the communication layer and how are messages 
going to be part of web three and maybe part of what you're doing because it feels like this is once we can get this part figured out we can truly kind of not have to be reliant on these old systems that we're trying to patch together right totally i I think what's interesting about the new technical patterns around messaging specifically like using a decentralized web node is that it allows for messaging interoperability and portability so what that means is that if the next company and this is what we're hoping for is that we're not the only one using this technical pattern other companies will use decentralized web nodes for storage and messaging is that there could be an interoperability of the messenger. So you don't just WhatsApp to WhatsApp. You can WhatsApp to Twitter. You can WhatsApp. And this is just the mind melt. You can signal to WhatsApp. You can do all these different things and build an interoperable web. That's where I see like, instead of all these segregated walled gardens that we've understood and says, oh, this is Facebook. This is WhatsApp. This is Signal. It allow an interoperable messenger similar to like a text message, but inter-application level. Right, so allow for an inter-application level system. That's the hope for the messaging that we want to go to and the, that we want to build. Well, and I would imagine this is like a 2.5, if you will, version web 2.5, and I would imagine there will eventually be a protocol. Someone will develop a messaging protocol that will be adopted by all of Web three. Maybe it's what you're working on, but the idea here is eventually maybe we'll just have an app on our phone that's a Web three messenger, for lack of better words, that is a completely decentralized messaging platform. You know, do you think that day is coming where it's encrypted, secure, there isn't anybody reading it, we can always store all of the messages we've ever received? Is that kind of where we're heading? I think so. And Zion will be one of the first, right? So we will be the first app built on this Web5 infrastructure that the block TBDs folks have been building. And I hope that these technical patterns are adopted by some of the largest companies in the world, because how cool would that be? Where like, as a user, like you don't have to think about, oh, I got to create another login or I got to create another storage place. I got to do this other thing. I can use my private key of my DID and then get into all these applications and then all my messages port over. Um, all of my contacts port over. All the Everything kind of ports over as a system. What about information and data storage? Let's talk about that a little bit because obviously you know better than I do, but I would imagine if I send a video to somebody on my iPhone through iMessage, I would imagine maybe it's somewhere up in the cloud and it's also on their phone and my phone and hopefully I can scroll back and find all that stuff. But I can imagine in a decentralized world, you're talking about an enormous amount of data that's going to have to be stored somewhere. How is that all going to work? You know, because that's that's a legit question, I think. Yeah, it's it's a big question. I don't necessarily have the answer to it right now. I think that we we're, there's a lot of talks about using IPFS as the data storage system that's the interplanetary file system. Um, that's a big conversation that we're having that decentralized web nodes can store data sharded across many devices and use IPFS as the service because that allows for interoperability. So the concept of like torrenting, right? Like my head of product that Zion was the former head of product at BitTorrent. There's a very specific reason why that is. And explain torrenting to people that don't know what that means. Torrenting takes one file and sends multiple versions of it all over the world and then only gives certain computers certain amount of those bits and then it combines it back. So like maybe your computer only holds a little bit of the information. No one has all of it until you download it. Yeah, that's really cool. So you were saying about IPFS. So you think that this is going to maybe be the standard upon which we'll be able to store information like larger images and files and messages and stuff like that? Sure. Yeah. And I, I think that's the technical pattern that decentralized web nodes want to take in terms of data storage. That is the the potentiation of where we want to go. But we're quite a long way away from these types of things. There'll still be centralized data storage machines until we get to a much larger scale. So I want to talk about money. You know, why is money such an important part of this? How does that play into all this? 
And then I want to also talk about the social layer, right? Because obviously there's there's things like followers and uh, and what all that's going to mean. But I want to start by talking about money. Like how is money, why is money an important part of this and how, and how will it work? Ultimately, the, the value exchange of money on the internet is highly inefficient, right? We're using a 50 to 70 year old system to move money on the internet. We're using credit cards that take minimum of 3% on every transaction that you make. So the money is highly inefficient in how it moves on the web because we're using highly kind of before the internet systems to move money on the internet. So what happens if you had native money on the internet and moving money on the internet? It just seems like a very highly efficient system. And then thinking the concept of digital content for digital currency, right? That other concept. So the money on the internet is generally broken. I think the money overall is broken. If we think about that, that's a whole rabbit hole. We can go down if we want to talk about fiat. What's the problem with fiat generally? And why Bitcoin potentially can be the world's reserve currency if it's able to securely state a 21 million circulation value. There's an opportunity there. But I think money on the internet for the internet is, is the way we want to, to move things. Just more efficient. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about how Bitcoin can solve a lot of this because obviously I own Bitcoin. I'm sure a lot of my audience owns Bitcoin. I use it just as a store of value right now. I'm not using it as a currency. You know what I mean? So so talk a little bit about how how this could be, you know, the new currency and how it could be used for microtransactions and whatever else you can think about. So having a native money is on the internet is is very efficient because you're never leaving the system itself, right? So like fiat requires you to go to a central bank and then you have a closing house and then you move it on very traditional payment rails that are not kind of web focused because the original payment rails didn't even move on the internet. They were on wires and Swift and all these other systems. But when you move money directly on the internet between two users, it creates an efficiency, which means that fees go down across kind of the, the curve. And so for creators in particular, right, if we look like a proxy like OnlyFans or Patreon or any of these sites that are direct support platforms, they're not actually just direct support platforms because on a fiat system, there's like six to 10 companies in the middle of that transaction between the credit card, the credit card processor, the hosting site, the bank, the closer. But in this new world, there's just two lightning nodes and two specific wallets, and they allow for instant direct settlement. And why that's important is that in all these other systems, there isn't instant direct settlement. Like even if you look at PayPal, it's not instant direct settlement. There's a 30-day, 60-day window sometimes to settle. Credit cards are 60-day windows. So why that is, is it creates an efficiency within the system where if I can send you a lightning transaction, you can instantly redeem that for sats and it's now in your cold storage wallet and you can use it for anything that you want that you can buy Bitcoin with. Eventually, when dollars are matched to Bitcoin in some ways, you can start spending and buying many other things. So that's the concept of Bitcoin becoming a reserve currency for the world where you can actually spend on other things. And this works in El Salvador right now. It's one of the things in the country. You can spend Bitcoin on anything in the country. You go to McDonald's and buy a hamburger with Bitcoin. Now, the Lightning Network, because it's not actually, it's layer two, it is energy efficient, right? Because there's a lot of people that are concerned about energy consumption, right? And this is a way more efficient way of transacting than just Bitcoin to Bitcoin. Is that correct? Of course, because it's effectively zero fees. And I think the the FUD around Bitcoin being inefficient, is that's backed by the security of the actual network. The reason that proof of work is important is because it adds a complex layer of security to the system, right? Like if we want to talk about technology and inefficiency, the question is like, you know, what's really energy efficient is like washing your clothes in your bathtub and then hanging them out to dry. 
I don't think most people want to do that. I use a washing machine. It's more efficient. That's the same thing with Bitcoin. I'm not saying Bitcoin, but layer two, the layer two, because it's instant, it's got to be more energy efficient, right? Yeah, there, there's effectively no energy. There's some energy required to keep the computer on, but there's no proof of work that's required to send that payment. So is Lightning kind of like going to be the new Visa MasterCard? Is that kind of what we're thinking? Exactly what it is. Yeah, it will It will replace Visa and MasterCard. And the fees? Are there fees on the Lightning Network? Effectively, very little fees. I mean, we're talking about like basis, like one to two basis points on transactions at, at some points, which is extremely small to move money. So one to two basis points for those of us that aren't financially savvy, that's like what that point, that's less than one-tenth of 1%. Is that about what you're talking about? Exactly. Very cool. And that's mostly just to keep the node operators, to pay the node operators? Yeah, pay the node operators and keep them happy, right? Because they're the efficiency inside the network. And is the Lightning Network very distributed? Like, are there lots, can you have a node in your house if you want to? I mean, is it that easy? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a for example, there's a really cool company called Umbral. Umbral is a software that you can get a Raspberry Pi, install it in your house, install this software, and you can become a node on the Lightning Network. You can open a channel to a major routing node, and you are now a part of this overarching payment network, which is really exciting and really cool. And you get a tiny percentage of that little fee that's coming in, right? If it routes through your node, right? So this is an open, decentralized network, and, and the network is designed around efficiency. So it's going to find the most efficient route to move the payment. You might be part of that. You might not be part of that. I mean, the major routing nodes, we work with the major routing nodes in all of our services to build the lowest fee environment for our audiences and our creators. Do you see a day where you'll be able to walk into a store and they'll be like, kind of like the Apple Pay thing, except it'll be some other payment thing? It does. It, it works in El Salvador. You can go to McDonald's and Starbucks and buy your coffee in Bitcoin in El Salvador. That's how it works. What I mean is like, do you eventually see every store having some sort of a terminal where you'll put your phone next to it and it will just like, like an Apple wallet kind of thing, authenticate it and it will use your Satoshis or whatever version of it? Effectively, I think that every transaction in the US will have at the bottom of its receipt or on the screen, like, hey, would you like to pay in SATs? And it'll be a light. The way Lightning works is based upon an invoice system. It'll generate the Lightning invoice. You open your phone, you use your Zion app because Zion is a native wallet as much as it is social network. You just hit pay, scan the QR code, instant transfer, instant settlement, bing, bang, boom, done. Wow. Yes, I do believe that's going to happen. That's very cool. Let's talk about the social side of this. Creators are a big part of the background that you have. And, and strategy, yep. And strategy. So how does this innovation that you're building, and in general, explain the social layer? Because normally with social, we're talking about people following people, right? Or subscribing. So how is that all going to work in this world? Your DID becomes your identifier inside the network. And then what we've built out in terms of the UI and the UX of the Zion app, because think of the Zion protocol and then there's the Zion app. Zion app is the thing everyone can use. We use the Zion protocol to build the Zion app. There's these things called communities. So when you join the app, you have a profile but if you want to go create a community and have people to come and join your community, have a chat room, post content, which is kind of traditional social right now, that's what we create inside the application for you. And then within that community, you have all the same social features. You can share posts, you can share videos, photos. And then we've added an addition where there's a chat room at the top. And this is every single message that you post allows you to, is signed by your DID, cryptographically signed. But the key the key that makes this app so different than all the other apps right now out there is that every piece of content in Zion is an active opportunity for a payment. What that means is that if you post a funny meme in the chat room that everyone loves, 
anyone can send you Satoshis instantly through that piece of content. And that's the innovation that makes this very different is that we're building a social network on top of a monetary network, not our own token, not our own blockchain, the most secure money I ever created, which is Bitcoin. And I think that innovation to me is really interesting because we're unlocking the next layer of the creator economy, right? I, I would argue that YouTube created the second layer of the creator economy. First order function creator economy is actors and movies. Second order function is regular people posting videos on the internet and getting paid for it. Third layer tier function of the internet is now the fans of those creators can now be paid for being professional consumers of content on the web. We're unlocking the next layer of the creator economy. Well, this is where it gets interesting. You know, you think of Twitch and you think of YouTube Live, for example, where you can give them tips, you know, as a consumer. And I don't even remember what they call them. They got names for all these things. I would imagine it's going to be a similar concept, right? Maybe if you contribute X to the creator, you'll be able to unlock special experiences. Is that kind of where we're going with all this? Yeah. No, 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 no. You got to, that's web two stuff. You can always give money to a creator. The key is, can the creator give his fans money and can fans pay other fans? This is the unlock. This is not the, everyone can look, there's already, all these things already exist for you to pay the creator. So you're talking about social tokens or what are you talking about here? I'm getting, no, we're talking about sats, Bitcoin moving from fans to fans. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about social tokens. We're not talking about blockchains. We're not talking about shit coins. We're talking about the hardest money ever created to be moved from two fans for posting stuff that they like inside of a creator's community. So let's like, let me go back. Let me take a step back. You reply to a post on Instagram. You say, oh, this is amazing. I love this for these 10 reasons. Anybody in the world can pay you for that piece of content, not the creator. You as the fan can get paid for your content. That's the unlock here. Why would anybody do it? I guess is the question, right? 120,000 transactions were done in Zion V1 between fans. Because maybe something was like, oh, they posted a meme that I laughed at. So I sent them half a penny, right? Like this is an unlock that we don't really understand yet. So the like or the thumbs up is going to be replaced. There's no more likes. There's just sats. It's boost. Okay. It's going to be replaced with money. And a Satoshi is very small amount of money, right? We're talking 1 million. Very small. Point zero zeros. Yeah. A 100th millionth of a Bitcoin. 100th millionth of a Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. So it's like such a small amount of money. That's going to be essentially what the new like is, right? And we'll account that. We'll keep track of that. How many sats? Yeah, there's boots. So each piece of content has a number of sats associated with it. So now these communities have their own GDPs. They have their own microeconomies moving in. It's like how many sats are moving through this system? This to me is an unlock that we haven't seen. It's a little bit unprecedented. And only Lightning allows for this. This is not like because we're built on an interoperable payment network, it allows for this type of a thing. Okay, so... Throw out some scenarios of how creators could potentially use something like this, or maybe something you've seen inside version one of the community. Yeah, look, any creator develops a community inside of Zion. First of all, they own it outright. Like we don't own the community, they own it on a DID on their own decentralized web node. Now, every piece of content they post, they could make it for themselves an active opportunity for a payment saying, oh, if you want to see this post, it takes 10 sats, very like only fancy. Oh, you could do that. Okay. 100%. Everything can be paid if you choose. Everything can also be free. Like it doesn't matter. Like you can decide. When you join the community, you can set a price to join the community, a price per message to post into the community. There's all these things that once you build on money, you can do anything with money. I mean, this, this is the mind meld that people don't understand is that once you build things on a digital wallet, you unlock scenarios that you haven't even dreamed up yet, right? Let, let me explain like spam. How do we prevent spam in Zion? 
Every time you post in a community inside of the Zion network, we take a certain amount of Bitcoin out of your wallet for a staking period. If the administrator of the community decides to delete your comment because they think it's spam or whatever, you lose the money. You lose it out of your wallet because you're inside of that administrator's community. Why is this important? Spam only works because it's free. It only works because you could post, 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 post. This allows us to take spam out of the system using proof of work and proof of money. That's really fascinating. It's definitely hard for people that are really entrenched in traditional social experiences to wrap their head around this, but I think I'm going to try to explain what I'm hearing you say. Let's say today I'm a creator on YouTube and uh, yeah, YouTube is paying me you know, for the ads that are presented up against my videos, but most creators know that they can make so much more money if they can get people into their own product, right? So what they try to do is they try to promote their own products, which are on some other platform. Maybe it's a course, for example, that's like one of the real popular things. And then you go to that sales page and you, and you buy that course. Well, now what I'm hearing you say is, hey, not only can you do that now within the social platform where you can have the content be unlockable for a certain price, it sounds like it's like whatever you can dream up, you can do. If you want to have free content that goes to paid content, you can do that on this platform. If you want everything to be paid, you can do that on this platform. Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Take all the best features that you see on all these other social applications and put them into one protocol. That's what we want to allow for. We want to allow for like you to really build a relationship with your fans in a new completely way and, and monetize directly from them if you so choose. Okay, so a big part of social is either the feed or, for example, the communication layer. For example, I'm using this Be Real app from France, the French company, you know, and I get notifications once a day that tell me, hey, go do your thing, right? Sometimes with a lot of these apps, until you become habitualized to using them, it's out of sight, out of mind, right? So is there a discoverability built into the Zion app? Talk about that a little bit. For me, it's about my customer or creators, right? Whereas the other social networks, their customers are people and keeping them addicted on their phones. Like that, like there's a completely different thing. It's like, we're, we're trying to let creators build their own communities. So the concept is that you're going there because you have this inherent love for a creator. I've had this instinct since I started my first company is that I think influencers or creators are the people that drive change in the world. You're going there for them. That's why YouTube is so massive. We want to build that hub for creators to go build audiences. That's why we built a chat room native to it. That's why we built posts that are native to it. But we did it with this, this aspect of money that's tied to everything. So do you envision though that there's going to be, let's say today I follow you, Justin, on the app and I'm only there for you, but eventually a bunch of other people I begin to discover are also on the app. Do you think there'll be a feed where I can see all of their stuff? There's a home screen. Yeah, there'll be a home screen. There's discover, there's community discovery. There's all the same things right now. Our discovery engine is around tagging of like, who are these creators and searching by name, but eventually we're going to optimize that over time. Like, and to think about it, like on a technology perspective, Zion is simply an aggregator to the technology. So if you look at our tech stack, and this is like something, if you want to be a real nerd, you can go see a lot of the stuff that's out that we've published is that Zion is an aggregator of DWNs. It's an aggregator of DIDs. We will do things in a certain way that's like the Zion touch, but eventually another app will come along and says, oh, you know what? We want to aggregate content in a different way. What's the DWN, by the way? A decentralized web node. Okay, keep going. So Apple will come along, you were saying? No, another company potentially will come along and say, you know what? I want to build an app in the same pattern, but I want to just show you content differently. And I want to focus on these types of creators and I want to do this. So you start competing for like the visual aesthetic of the experience 
not necessarily what the identity is or where the data store is, right? Because that's what everyone's competing for. Everyone's building another walled garden, right? All these blockchains are other walled gardens. Remember, like that's the innovate, like their innovations, like, no, 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 you have to use our blockchain and you have to use our token. You have to use our this, you have to use our that. They're just building the next Facebook, except they're doing it in a different way. We're trying to say like, none of that bullshit, none of that walled garden stuff. The future should not look like that. The future should be interoperable. It should be an open web. Identity should not be based upon the blockchain that you use. It should be open and distributed. That's what we're betting on is that we think that people want this open free state, not another walled garden. And that's really, really important about how we're building this. I think the reason we got connected was I was on a podcast and you kind of saw me on the, that. That's been my big argument around like NFTs and all this stuff is like, look, at the end of the day, like it's another walled garden. Right. Well, what I'm fascinated about your business model is you have a protocol, right? And a protocol for those that don't understand is kind of like an open source thing that people can build on. And then you've got the app. So the Zion app, is the Zion app just a proof of concept of the protocol? 100%. The way to think about this is that Amazon built a multi-billion dollar business. They decided that they needed to have infrastructure to host all their stuff. Their business is growing massively. And then engineers like, hey, man, we have a little bit more compute. We should probably spin this out. AWS. AKA AWS, right? The, what we're trying to say is like, look, we've built a protocol, yes. But I don't want to bet on an app developer to come use our protocol because I'm not famous. Nobody knows who I am. Let me go build an actual app that enables and say, hey, does this thing work? And maybe other people will decide, yeah, let's, let's use that pattern. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we're recording this on October 20th. 2022. This show is going to come out right around Thanksgiving, actually on November 25th, 2022. So where are we at with the app and where are we at with like who it's for? Talk a little bit about those that are listening. It's for you. If like, just fill that part in and is it available now? It's for everyone. I think right now, I think by that time we will have our white paper release. Go to zion.fyi should have all the information there. By November, you should be able to download the app and you'd be able to use it. Our big launch campaign with creators and all the stuff will happen in 2023 with all of our investors, but go to zion.fyi. You'll be able to see everything there. You can read our white paper on that. It will be, it will be published by then. Um, and you can download the app by then as well. And for people that are maybe developers that are listening to this, where do they, if they're interested in learning more about the protocol, do they go to the same place? Yeah, the docs of how we're building the Zion protocol will also be available on the the guide document that will be available on the website. So, and you can go to our GitHub, github.com slash get Zion. We'll have all of our information of all of our code and everything. If you want to implement this yourself, we'll all be there. And Justin, if people want to connect with you on the socials, is Twitter the best place? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm on every centralized social platform. I put irony in a lot of my bios because I'm building this thing. And But just Justin Resvani, I'm verified on everything. So just follow the verified account. I will never DM you about crypto advice or wanting to understand how your trade- Same thing is true for me, man. How your trades are going. I am like, and if you please just, I'm verified. There's no other, I don't make private accounts. I don't do anything. Just look at the blue check boxes on- the social medias or whatever, and that's me. Yeah, and for folks that are listening, uh, Rezvani is spelled R-E-Z-V-A-N-I. Justin, first of all, I'm very excited about what you're building, and I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your vision, and can't wait to see how this thing works. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, brother. I appreciate your time. This was a fun conversation, and maybe I'll come back and talk about it more and when we get lots of people using it. Absolutely. Hey, if you missed anything... We took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C46. And if you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner 
on Instagram at, at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.